0: A question for everybody here today anybody here like roller coasters anybody roller coasters yes I love roller coasters uh, one of the things I love about roller coasters is the ups and downs of roller coasters right and so if you get on a roller coaster uh, I remember riding an old wooden roller coaster when I was an adolescent teenager and we would ride thing over and over again it was called it's called racer 75 and it's at King's Dominion, and what they would do is there would be two cars, and they would race each other. They race each other around this wooden roller coaster. You get up to 4.2 G's on this roller coaster, which is pretty strong G's for a wooden roller coaster, and so we would ride this over and over again. We'd race. we go. You could ride it backwards, forward, all these different ways to ride this roller coaster, and we had a blast, and then I remember uh, when I was a teenager, they came out with a new roller coaster at Bush Gardens called the Loch Ness Monster. And it had loops in it. And it, it, this is actually the only roller coaster with interlocking loops in the world. I think that's what I read this week. But I remember going on that for the first time. And I remember waiting in line for two hours to get on this roller coaster. And I remember thinking, um, am I going to fall out? <laughs> like, you know, because I'd never, nobody's ever been, had been through like a loop de loop on a roller coaster before. So we didn't know what was going to happen. And so, but good thing for physics and the way God created the world, you actually stay in and you actually are forced into your seat as you go through that loop. And I was thinking about this loop-de-loop versus the up and down roller coaster, because a lot of times we use a metaphor. We say, you know, life is like a roller coaster. It's got a lot of ups and downs, right? I don't know about you, but I feel like it's not just up and down now. It's like loop-de-loops. Do you have any loop-de-loops in your roller coaster of life? Do you have any turns or sometimes now I've been on roller coasters where they have these corkscrew turns and you kind of go upside down and you go through the, the corkscrew, or maybe you come across and you do this sideways turn and down. They've created all different types of maneuvers. And I feel like sometimes the G-forces that we experience on newer roller coasters are, are, are pretty, pretty hard. You know, I think about how we often think about ups and downs of life, but maybe our lives have some twists and turns. And it's not just up and down. Anybody else feel that way? Anybody? I'm just checking. Because one of the things we're going to talk about today is this idea of resilience. Resilience. We've been talking in this series about what it looks like to flourish and what it looks like to have well-being. And we've talked about uh, daily happiness. Last week we talked about thriving. Today we're going to talk about resilience, what resilience is and how to practice it and build it. And then also we're going next week we're going to talk about authenticity. Um, But here's a definition of resilience from Matt Bloom, who's a professor at Mendoza College of Business at Notre Dame. He says, resilience is our capacities to adjust to changes in the world around us to achieve our life goals and to keep growing and reaching toward our fullest potential. So think about resilience as our ability to adjust to changes in the world, like the roller coaster, right? Right? Your body, when we're on a roller coaster, our bodies are put under these g forces, and actually, if you are, if there's too much g force, you will pass out. You will, your body will shut down. Right? Uh, I, I want to ask William Shatner what happened when he went to orbit this week, when he went up to space this week. the 90 90 years of age, right? First, the oldest person in space, I think is really cool. But I also want to say, did you pass out when that G-force hit you going up in that rocket? He did say it was hard coming down. The jolt when they hit the ground, uh, the landing was pretty hard. But I thought about this like G-force, like the stress that it puts on your body, right? Well, think about how life changes and it changes faster now. I feel like the G-forces of stress on our lives today are greater than they've ever been and how are we responding to it are we just shutting down and passing out right are we just giving up right are we just kind of like hey i I don't know how to handle this and i'm just going to shut down resilience is about not shutting down resilience is about holding up under this stress and actually the bible as we're also learning in this series had something to say about it two thousand years ago the bible talks about resilience It's in there. It's all over the place in the Bible. If you look around the Bible in the Old Testament, New Testament, there's a lot about people being resilient. But we're going to look today at Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at uh, verses uh, uh, 9 through 14 this morning. Here's what Paul says to the church in Colossae. He said, Be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will, And so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. We pray that you'll live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul, not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. It is a strength that endures the undurable and spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. God rescued us from dead-end alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of the Son he loved so much, the Son who got us out of the pit we were in, got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. That's out of the message version in case you didn't recognize it or sound a little bit different to you if you've read other parts of the bio, that in other versions. So Paul defines resilience here. He actually defines this strength to stick it out for the long haul. That's resilience. That's what he's talking about. Another word we might use is perseverance, right? That's another way of looking at that, right? And notice that this strength spills over into joy, which we're talking about flourishing. We're talking about joy. We're talking about thriving. And resilience actually will take us there right, and, and help us get there. The other thing Paul mentions here in this passage is his, what he's praying for. I want you to, re, let's remind ourselves, right, what we just read about what it, Paul's prayer is. Paul's praying that you and I would have wise minds and hearts, and sp- or wise minds and spirits is what he says, that are attuned to God's will. You hear that? Praying for wise minds and spirits attuned to God's will. So this is actually resilience. That you and I when we're resilient we're practicing wisdom. <laughs> we're practicing having wise minds and we're practicing wise having wise minds and spirits that are attuned to God's will. So when we're practicing resilience and when we're building resilience we're actually doing and answering this prayer. So let me give you an example. There are three essential elements to resilience and what happens when we're resilient. Here are the three practices Uh, that we can uh, engage in that actually make us resilient. So number one, self-awareness, self-awareness. Self-awareness is the awareness that we have of our thoughts, feelings, and actions. Just aware of them. We we just understand them and then we're aware of them. And so when we have this awareness, we will be be resilient, right? So one of the questions is, or one of the questions I would ask you, have you ever heard someone say, they're like a bull in a china shop. Has anybody ever heard that phrase before? A bull in a china shop. That's someone who lacks self-awareness because they're not aware of how they're impacting other people around them. They're like, and so we say that they're like a bull in a china shop. That that what we're saying is that this person may lack self-awareness. The other thing is uh, self-reflection. The second thing is self-reflection. So that's where we evaluate our thoughts, feelings, actions to see if they're actually helpful to us or to other people. So self-aware, we're aware of them, but self-reflection says, okay, we're going to step back, we're going to look at our thoughts, we're going to look at our feelings, and we're going to evaluate whether they're helpful or not to ourselves or to other people. That is self-reflection. Have you ever heard the term emotional intelligence before? You ever heard that before? There's books out about it. You may have heard it uh, talked about emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligent people... Have these two things going for them. They're self-aware and they self-reflect. That is an emotionally intelligent person. So that's what it defines emotional intelligence. So those two things together. Now the last thing is self-control. So see how you can see how these build on each other. We're self-aware of our thoughts, feelings, action. We reflect on those thoughts, feelings, and actions to see if they're helpful, and then we change if we need to. We actually change and we control our will. But in Paul's case, we attune ourselves to God's will. That's self-control. To control and to align my will and to attune my will to God's will would be an exercise of self-control. So I'm self-aware, I self-reflect, and then I align and change to control my behavior in environments that I live in, right? Because sometimes the reality is we live in environments that we have no control over. We live in situations where we can't change things, right? And so even like uh, with, in our society, there are certain things going on in our society we can't control, we can't change. It's part of the environment we live in, and, but we can change the way we respond to them. We can change the way we exercise our wills and attune our wills to God's will in the environment in which we live. So, so the, ch- the resilient wisdom here, the wisdom of resilience would say this. I can change how I'm responding, or I might actually change the environment I'm in, right? So that's another part of resilience. I could change the environment, or I can change how I'm responding to the environment I'm in. Uh, I'm not a professional marriage counselor, but I do talk to couples that are going through difficulty. And when I talk to couples that are going through marital strife, they they come and they're wrestling with this question, do I change the environment, my relationship that I'm in, or do I change the way I'm responding to this other person in my life? That's a, that's, that's a question, isn't it? And so I will get, couples will come in and they'll say their problems or issues that they're going through, and one of the things we'll say, well, well, are you willing to do the self, be self-aware, reflect upon your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, and are you willing to control yourself and change behavior in the relationship to help the relationship grow, right? So that's really asking each person in the relationship to uh, say, am I willing to make changes that are helpful to the relationship? So that's what the rest of or what they're coming in sometimes with, do I need, do I get out of this relationship? Do I change the environment, right? So here's what I've discovered, and again, I'm no expert, is that when A couples come in and they both are self-aware, willing to do self-awareness, willing to self-reflect, and willing to do exercise self-control, there's a lot of hope for that relationship. And those relationships actually become resilient and last a long time when both couples, both partners are willing to do that. So think about that. So if both partners are willing to do those three things to be resilient, that's what makes a resilient marriage. That's what helps marriages thrive. And so these practices of resilience actually help. And it's interesting because nobody, if you really boil it down and you talk to couples, they really aren't expecting the other person to be perfect. It may feel that way at sometimes. But I think that what's really happening is, are you willing to change? Are you willing to reflect and be aware aware and reflect and self-control? Are you willing to do that? If you're willing to do that and I'm willing to do that, we can make this work. And when they recognize that in each other, they will work on their marriage. And there's a lot of hope and resiliency in that marriage relationship. When they come in and neither one (laughs) wants to do that work of of reflection and awareness and control, then guess what? It gets really hard to be resilient in that relationship. It gets really hard to persevere. It gets really hard to endure in that relationship. And then the other piece to this is when you've got one person that comes in and is willing to do the the self-reflection and self-awareness and self-control, but the other partner won't. Do it. That's hard too. So then that person who's willing is sitting there going, I'm willing to do things, but if they're not willing, maybe, and I can, there's only so much I can do. I can only change so much, right? And at some point, I then have to, wisdom says, do I need to change the environment that I'm in, right? Because the other person lacks the will or the capacity or whatever to make the changes necessary to and continue to be resilient in our marriage. So again, I'm not an expert in this. I'm just using it as an example out of my own experience. To say that sometimes we you know especially like in an abusive relationship wisdom would say you need to change the environment you're in right because you're in an abusive relationship but if you're not and you're willing to work and be self-aware and do the work then stay in it stick it out right persevere be resilient and so those are the things that we would say in those situations as well just an example so those are things that actually help our, our elements of resilience Now, I want to share a couple other things that will help you build resilience. So that's what resilience looks like. Well, let's talk about what will build resilience in you, in me. So here's some things, some practices for that. So the first one is called detachment, detachment. So I want you to think about the biggest stressor in your life right now. What's the biggest roller coaster hill, loop-de-loop, whatever it is that you're in right now? Is it your job? Is it your your family relationships? Is it uh, maybe something going on with a friend? What is it that's like keeping you up at night right now? Think about that as your primary stressor. It could be schoolwork, study, whatever, right? So what's your biggest stressor? That's the g-force that's at work in your life right now. Think about it that way, right? That's what's putting pressure on you. So detachment says, then I'm going to detach, I'm going to remove myself from that stressor for a period of time to recover from it. Does that make sense? So whatever your stressor is, you actually need to detach from it. In a sense, what what we're saying is you need to get off the roller coaster because if you stay on it too long, you'll get sick, right? If you just keep riding a roller coaster over and over again, eventually you're going to throw up, right? Think of it. If that helps you, great. If it doesn't, (laughs) let it go. But but we have to detach. Now, here's what the research says, that to build resilience, we need to detach four times a week, four times a week. So out of every week, whatever our stress is, so for example, if it's your work, your job, or or whatever that is, whatever your full-time vocation is, you need to find four ways to detach from that in any given week to build resilience, Because this actually builds up over time and accumulates over time. So so think about it that way. So it's interesting that God, when God created the world and created us, what did God build into the created order? Something called rest, (laughs) Sabbath, right? Detachment. Work six days and then take a day to detach, right? Detach, a whole day. Detachment is not about taking four days off during the week. That's not what it's about. But it's about taking periods of time within your week that you totally detach from that workload or whatever the stressor is, right? So detachment. Get off the roller coaster. Number two is restorative niche, called something called, it's interesting that research is coming up with terms that, you know, rather than detachment, we call it Sabbath. You know, restorative niche is just a fancy word for like having a hobby. Does that make sense? Like having something other that you, brings you delight, that brings you, that you enjoy doing, that's a restorative niche. Notice the word restorative here, brings you delight, encourages you. I think worship can be a restorative niche for us, right? When we come and worship, uh, maybe not those of you who are up here on the front kind of leading us, but when we're practicing worship, we, it can be a restorative niche for us. It can restore us, right? I think that's a restorative niche. I think other restorative niches are like hobbies. Um, like I took up uh, nature photography several years ago because I just needed a, needed a restorative niche. I needed something besides ministry to be doing and enjoying, right? And so I built in that restorative niche into my life. And so every time I go hiking or go somewhere, I keep my, um, my, my camera in my backpack. There's a camera in my backpack everywhere I go because I never, I'm always wanting to take photos of, of God's creation, So I've taken up nature photography. I'm not great at it. I got a lot to learn, but I love it when I work out. And I love editing software because all my mistakes can be edited. So sometimes I wish life were that, you know, wouldn't it be great if you could just edit stuff out? Anyway, uh, so anyway, so think about a restorative niche and ways that you get to thank God. Notice that was in the passage today, thanking God, having gratitude, things that fill us up and say, hey, I I really appreciate this. I'm thankful for this. That's restorative, right? Then the last thing here is something that we've always known in the church, and that's called spiritual discipline. Spiritual disciplines build resilience. The research today is, is backing this up, by the way. Like, Every time I read stuff like this in the, in the twenty, you know, we're in the 21st century now, I go, you know, it's already in the Bible. I kind of look at stuff and I, because I remember where God taught us about it in the Bible. And I'm like, so there's nothing new under the sun, but now we've got the research, the science to back it up, right? And so uh, one of the things they're finding is that if you spend three to five minutes a day in silence, you'll build resilience. Think about that. Even three minutes a day, if you were just to be still for three minutes and be silent and just be in the presence of God, right, that would help build resilience in you. Think about that. This practice, this daily practice, this daily rhythm. You know, uh, Daniel in the Old Testament, he was facing tremendous pressure and stress to be somebody who God did not call him to be. And what did he do? He prayed three times a day, morning, afternoon, evening. He built in a rhythm and a spiritual practice within his day that helped him to be resilient, right? This has been in the Bible for thousands of years, this resilience and these disciplines that build resilience in us. And so we can do that, right? Notice that a lot today, even in our society, people who aren't necessarily Christians or religious people will practice what? Mindfulness or meditation, right? These, because these practices work, right? something that we've known all along. I would say that it's actually more than just being in silent. I think there's another piece to it. Here's the piece to it, that not only am I silent, just being still, but I am recognizing the presence of God in my life. That's what I'm doing in addition, right? So that's what makes it for me a spiritual practice, is that God is a part of it, that I'm in the presence of God, that God is reminding me that I am a child of God, as we sang this morning, right? So that's important for us to do. The other thing I, I've done is we talk about studying the Bible. I really want to encourage us, too, to think about what does it look like to meditate, meditate on God's Word, because it tells us to do that in the Scriptures. So one of the ways we do that is when we have a verse or a verse that guides our life or guides our week or guides our day. So anybody here ever have a life verse? I, I have a life, I have a verse that I kind of go to often throughout life. Does anybody have one of those? yeah. Or maybe you have a verse that you focus on for the day, you might get up in the morning and you could read a verse or a few verses and then you say, I'm gonna stay with this verse today, I'm gonna keep reminding myself of. That would be meditating on God's word. Here's my uh, light, what what I call my life verse. It says in Isaiah 42, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. Do you hear resilience in that? And the resilience comes from the belief and the faith that God is going ahead of us, preparing the way for us, already in our future, right? So every time we would go face change in our lives, I would go to this verse, because it's a verse about knowing that God is in the future, whatever that change looks like, right? So this actually helps us to transition and handle chain, and be resilient. So I think it's a great verse. If you want to borrow that, I don't own the verse, so if you want it, you want to take it with you today, take it. So you can do that. The other thing, so the key here in all of this is to build in a rhythm, daily rhythm or a daily practice. That's the important thing. And even if it's a small thing, it will help. So I I hope you don't sit here and go, oh, I, I just don't have time for this, Pastor Matt or whatever, right? I am just saying start with three minutes. <laughs> Anybody can start with three minutes. You can find three minutes in your day. I, I guarantee it. I know you think you can't, but you can. And here's the thing. You practice that and just do three minutes a day over a period of time and just build it, make it consistent, and then you've built a practice. And then once you've built that, that consistency, then add another three minutes, and now you're doing six minutes, and then keep doing that over time consistently, and you actually will build resilience within your daily routine. So let me stop here. I threw a lot at you this morning. We talked about what resilience looks like and how, how, what practice is there, and we talked about some things that will build resilience, but I want to stop here and just pause for a moment and ask a question for you to ponder, reflect on. How's the roller coaster of your life doing today? How are you? Are you in an up? Are you in a down? Are you in a loop? Are you in an upside down turn? Where are you at today? How are you dealing with the changes that are coming your way, the stressors in your life? How are you handling those stressors today? And what, is it, what would it look like for you to be resilient right now? A friend of mine uh, invited me to go sailing one afternoon. And as you, some of you already know, I love to sail, love to go sailing. And one of the things that um, he wanted to take me out on this boat, because it was a specially designed sailboat for racing, so it wasn't like for pleasure cruising, it wasn't for like going out on Lake Washington and just hanging out, you know. This was meant to race. It was a Star class sailboat. And on the Star class sailboat, it was designed, it was particularly designed to go fast. And so we got out on the boat and it's a moderately windy day and we are moving really good. I mean, we're going fast. And I'm like this is cool, right? Cuz when I get in a sailboat, I like to go fast. Like this is this is what I enjoy about sailing and to be quietly going fast through the water. And so the sailboat kind of leans over on its side. And one of the fears when you're in a sailboat, and if you've never been a sailboat before, and it's going over on its side, you think what? What do you think? We're going to capsize, right? The sailboat's going to go over. We're going to go in the water, right? But that doesn't happen because of the way the sailboat's designed. Now, this particular sailboat, he had, we had been going back and forth, and he says, you want to you, wanna, drive, you don't really drive a sailboat, but he said, you want to take the tiller, like drive the sailboat. I was like, yeah, I want to do that, right? And we were going so fast that one, if you grab the tiller on that sailboat and you just move it just a little bit, that thing will turn quick. That's because it's designed that way. But also, the faster you go in a sailboat, the incremental changes make a bigger difference, right? When you're going slow, it just doesn't, you have to wait a while to do it. So anyway more than you need to know about sailing, but I'm going to touch you, tell you a little bit more about what it looks like to be resilient through a sailboat. So he, I'm on the tiller, and we're going through, and we're going pretty fast, and he said, you can go faster, Matt. The boat was designed to go faster, and I'm like, we're already on our side. Like, we're going to fall over. He's like, no, you can push it farther. It will handle more than you expect because I was used to bigger clunkier sailboats not racing sailboats and he said so take it faster so I, tri- I made it so what you do is you make these incremental adjustments to the sail and you make these incremental adjustments to the tiller in the direction and you start to go faster and we never fell out I thought we were going to fall over. we never tipped over we never capsized and he said he said this to me he says you cannot do anything to make this boat capsize and that's when I started pushing it harder, right? So why is that possible? Well here's how it's possible. The wind hits the sail and when the wind hits the sail it pushes the boat over, but underneath the water hidden out of sight is something called the keel or the center board. And there's an opposite equal pressure and this one was designed actually with a cylinder on the bottom of the keel so that it actually made it harder. The water pressure was so hard on that keel that there was no way that the wind could push push the boat over because there were opposite forces at work right Any science teachers here in the, in the work and the physics teachers can tell us all about this. So this is why the sailboat is resilient Now here's the thing can you and I can we change the wind? Can we change the wind's direction? no can we change the amount of wind or the force of the wind no can I change the amount of waves no can I change the current no There are all these things going on in the external environment when you're sailing that you cannot change. But you can make small adjustments, (laughs) incremental adjustments to the tiller, to the sails to be resilient in that situation. And even in a storm, even in a storm, I've sailed in storms and it's possible to make it through because of those incremental changes that we make. So if you do nothing this week, You do nothing, just think about doing one small thing in your life that will build resilience in you today. Here's some questions to think about. Number one, what has helped you be resilient when facing external change? So, what's worked in the past? Number two, what role do spiritual disciplines play in your daily life right now? And then number three, what is one practice you want to start or revisit this week? that would build resilience in you. And we've got a lot of examples this morning. So just be encouraged that we also follow someone who is resilient, Jesus. We come to this table. This table is a reminder that God endured with us, that God did not give up on us, that Jesus endured the cross with that same strength, right? Remember that prayer he prayed? He prayed a prayer the night before he went to the cross, and his prayer was simply this, God, not your will, but not my will, but your will be done. What was he doing? He was praying for the wisdom to attune his life to God's will. Attune his life to God's will. That's what Paul's prayer for us is today. So let's pray together. God, we pray and we thank you that you have given us the grace and love of Jesus Christ that even when our lives do Face storms, even when we do capsize, God, you are there. You are helping us to get back in the boat. You are there helping calm the storm. You are helping us to practice things that will build resilience in us in those tough times of life through the ups and downs and twists and turns. And thank you that you sent forth the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus, who showed us the way to do this, showed us what it looks like to endure. And Lord, we're thankful for the gift of his life that forgives us of our sins today and forgive us our sins today, Lord. Those places where we have reflected and said, you know, that wasn't helpful. That wasn't helpful at all. It was harmful to myself or to somebody else. And that's what we call sin. And Lord, help us to confess our sins and receive your grace today as we come to this table. Help this to be a time of reflection for us and, how, and our relationship with you and your will in our lives. So Lord, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us today? Pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and cup that they may be for us the body and blood of Jesus so that when we leave here, get up and leave here today, we can go be the hands and feet of Jesus in our world to be attuned to God's will in our lives. So Lord, would you forgive us? Would you bless us? Would you offer your grace to us in this cup and bread today? And we pray together this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And you're welcome to join me if you know it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom